0: from beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles. The TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. The voice of a changing world, Chris Smith on today's News Talk
1: Radio TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program on a truly historic day for this very special News Talk Radio network. I appreciate you all listening but you're doing a little bit more than listening you have an opportunity to watch um our voices are now being enhanced by pictures we are video streaming as they call it in the trade yes tnt radio has gone visual and you're able to see me in the studio behind the microphone which won't be everyone's cup of tea so i apologize for that and uh, you're now seeing most of our commentators and special guests on screen as well from now on even in our news bulletins Which you would know by now you're treated to news vision matching our stories it puts tnt radio i think in some rarefied space alongside some of the world's most established news talk outlets which also video stream on either digital or internet platforms but of course unlike the rest this is tnt radio a unique and gutsy independent network specializing in reporting the truth and fighting for freedom i think it's fair to say the development stage of this concept is over tnt radio at full strength and from today in color and in sound i hope you can help us spread the word and let people know Um, i think it's well worth the effort and every day from now you'll find that our video streaming service will be available on more and more sites but go to our website that's the best way to go Go to our website, tntradio.live, and you'll be treated to vision, video streaming, as well as our standard radio reporting. Today, Elon Musk has found himself caught up, would you believe, in another war, the conflict between Israel and Hamas. And he's at war with everyone, from the White House to some of the biggest corporations in the world. And I'll tell you all about that and why all the haters will end up eating their words. I've got a cavalcade of special guests in this edition. You'll be hearing from an internationally respected adolescent and child psychiatrist who wants the medical fraternity worldwide to stop assisting teenagers to transition to another gender. He says too many clinicians are ignoring the emerging evidence against the practice. We'll be hearing from the Canadian Patriot and lecturer Matt Errett as well on the program. This is interesting. A former US Defence Secretary wants the military to take on Iran at this juncture and settle that score once and for all. There's World War III for sure and certain. We'll discuss Iran's unveiling of its newest hypersonic missile. Yes, they're in the hypersonic missile space along with Russia and China. And what's British intelligence up to? Matt says they seem to be playing all sides at the moment, the Jewish people, Muslims, and also Christians. Matt, very shortly. Also on the program, Australian Broadcasting Royalty, Alan Jones, who wants to know whether Prime Minister Anthony Albanese had the guts to protest in the face of Xi Jinping at APEC over the way a Chinese naval crew deliberately injured Australian divers. Now, this is an outrage. I spoke about it on the program late last week. Did he have the guts to face Xi Jinping about it? Because he should have. We'll discuss Albanese's appalling boast that he caught up with the boss of BlackRock last week. That's a strike, not a home run. And Australia does the unexpected, wins the World Cup of one-day cricket against the seemingly invincible Indian side. And the crowd went absolutely silent. And from Victoria, where the government there has just lost enormous ground in the by-election in the seat of Mulgrave, that was the seat previously held by former Premier Chairman Daniel Andrews will hear what this all means through the eyes of Liberal Party MLC Renee Heath. Renee is on the program. Uh, we'll speak with Renee about what the result means. And uh, we also want to talk to Renee about a FOY document that landed over the weekend, which um, basically proves that COVID vaccine injuries have contributed to the decimation of the state's fire and rescue brigade but of course the government has had this document from worksafe for a long period of time but kept it secret they not only kept it secret but they maintained a ridiculous vaccine mandate so all of that and more with rene heath he'll be appearing on screen for us today of course via zoom But let's hear from you on the talkback lines. Give us your take on the biggest issues in the world today. Please give us a call from the United States or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. If you're listening early morning in the UK, good to have your company. You can call on 033-0024-1026 and from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. You're with Chris Smith, broadcasting from Sydney for the next two hours on the Global News Talk Network, TNT TNTradio.live. The latest headlines
0: waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Well, when it comes to the biggest events in the world, that man Elon Musk always, somehow, finds himself caught up in the middle of it all. Look at the crucial role the billionaire still plays in the war in Ukraine. His decisions about who gets to use his Starlink satellite internet network has and is defining Russian and Ukrainian strategy. He's happy for Starlink to be used for humanitarian purposes and also for Ukraine to use it for standard military communications, but not for acts of war. And he's even impressed Russia's Vladimir Putin. How do you please both sides in a war if you run the biggest internet access network in the sky i don't know how he does it but he's done it with a little bit of advice of course from the u.s joint chiefs of staff we know what impact his tesla car company is having on the electric vehicle revolution and his spacex adventures include a four billion dollar contract with nasa which is aiming to launch the first flight to the moon in more than five decades uh, don't say he can't because, as we know, he usually does. And now his universal-sized social media platform X is at the center of torrid and inflammatory reaction with respect to Israel's war against Hamas. Last week, Musk faced another backlash for endorsing an anti-Semitic post on his social media platform that accused Jewish people of driving hatred against white people. A user posted a video that was part of a campaign against anti-Semitism, depicting a father reprimanding his son for making anti-Semitic remarks on the internet. But another user responded by saying, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialect hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. The user stated, I am deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest SHIT now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing realisation that those hordes of minorities that support flooding their country don't exactly like them too much. Now, Musk responded on his own account to that by saying, you have said the actual truth. And that came after a wave of criticism against X ever since Israel's bombing began, a day after those Hamas terror attacks because the platform has allowed hate rhetoric and anti-Semitism. Now, from my reading of what I've seen, and I'm an avid follower of X, uh, it's certainly seen hate speech from both sides. And in the public square, the world has also witnessed anti-Semitism and anti-Palestinian comments as well, which has been spiked since October 7. But why, after the barbaric events of the day, people are saying, hang on a second, why are you so quick and so furious to attack Jewish people? I'm hearing it on Talkback Radio. And why does Israel become the butt of so much negative commentary? Well, American crisis management guru, Eric Desenhall of Desenhall Resources, explained it this way on CNBC.
2: Well, look, I mean, one of the things I often write about is there are, uh, in, in any controversy, you have villains, victims, and vindicators. And right now you are seeing a binary construct where there are only villains and victims, there are only oppressors and oppressees. If you have someone who is perceived to be the oppressor, there is nothing bad you can possibly do to them because the perception is they can take it or they deserve it.
1: Interesting analysis. It's certainly true that Israel's response to any attack within their boundaries has been notoriously beyond proportionate. Uh, the 12,000 alleged deaths of innocent Palestinians is the latest case in point. The world is aggravated by what has happened in their pursuit of Hamas. So Elon Musk obviously felt he was well within his rights to agree with those harsh comments posted on X ex- against overseas Jews. And in follow up posts, he didn't hold back. Musk went further. He wrote that he doesn't believe that, quote, all jewish communities hate white people but the anti-defamation league unjustly attacks the majority of the west despite the majority of the west supporting the jewish people in israel musk and the adl of course have had a hate hate relationship ever since he bought twitter the adl encouraged companies at the time to pull their ads on the site in protest against alleged hate speech But for now, Musk has bigger advertising headaches to deal with because his comments last week triggered a major withdrawal of ads from the likes of IBM, Disney, EU, and Lionsgate. Even the White House added its critical voice to the chorus. Spokesman Andrew Bates said, we condemn this abhorrent promotion of anti-Semitic and racist hate in the strongest terms, which runs against our core values as Americans. Musk's CEO at X, Linda y- Yaccarino, reacted quickly to try and bandage the revenue hemorrhage caused by her owner. It's not the first time she'll be doing that, let me tell you. But as Eric Desenhal says, Musk is one of those rare, eccentric entrepreneurs
2: who will always just do as he wants. One of the problems working with a client like Elon Musk, and to be clear, he is not my client is you are dealing with people whose life experience is different than the 7 billion rest of us. Their life experience is when everybody says you're wrong and you're out of your mind, is they are consistently right. What goes up continues to go up. How do you advise somebody like this? It's very difficult. So what you have is the people around that person trying to dive in front of the bullets to take it.
1: Yes, Linda will be diving in front of many, many bullets from here on in. Now, Musk did attempt to dilute the drama, stating on X that users who deploy the terms decolonization from the river to the sea, and other similar euphemisms that necessarily imply genocide will be suspended from the platform. He said anyone calling for a genocide of any people will be suspended. Meanwhile, Elon featured in the headlines again yesterday His latest uncrewed rocket, Starship, went up, up, up. This is the one designed to carry astronauts to the moon, you'll remember. It reached space for the very first time on Saturday. The rocket blasted off from Texas, aiming to land somewhere near Hawaii in the Pacific Ocean. But about two and a half minutes into the flight, the two stages of the 33-engine spacecraft broke apart, and it was declared lost, presumed to have exploded. The ever optimistic Elon Musk wrote on X, for the first time, there is a rocket that can make all life multi-planetary, a fork in the road of human destiny. Again, despite what the space naysayers predict, Musk is ever deterred from setbacks or harsh criticism. He just doesn't give a damn. He's determined to use his rockets for commercial travel, such as one-hour flights between london and tokyo and he won't be told he cannot achieve his ultimate dream to eventually send humans to mars on reusable rockets they'll keep telling him he can't do it but watch him prove every one of them wrong This is TNT Radio. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about.
0: I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? it's kind of hard to know where to start right where would you suggest we even begin with this process yeah it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the burger King's still open and i think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities but for most people i would say charlie it feels normal but it ain't normal <laughs> the
3: world yeah. is not
0: normal it's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
4: I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me, and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that seemingly out of nowhere we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media
3: depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world.
4: The people who are consuming this are children 13, 14, 15 years old and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day
2: and looked at myself in the mirror and asked myself what the heck am I doing?
0: When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive,
4: your body image issues are worse.
0: That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now?
3: D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com.
0: At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news.
1: It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hey, good to have your company. Plenty to get to today. You know, whenever war begins, some feel compelled to jump on the hawkish bandwagon to compound the conflict, to suggest that we expand our war and settle some old scores once and forever. Well, in an interview on CBS last week, former US Defence Secretary Mark Esper said to defeat the militant Palestinian group Hamas fully, Iran must be confronted as well, Iran. He said, to ultimately defeat Hamas in the extent that we understand it in military terms, you have to prevent their ability to reconstitute their military forces. And he said, to do that, that means you have to deal with Iran once and for all. You have to cut off the supply of arms and money and other support. And that's the bigger issue that we're not facing, he said. Does he have a point? or would this be throwing unacceptable fuel on the fire? Let's bring in Matt Errett, live from Montreal, Canada, to discuss this and much more. Uh, Matthew Errett is a journalist. He's a founder and editor in, editor-in-chief of the Canadian Patriot Review, director at the Rising Tide Foundation, and senior fellow at the American University in Moscow. He hosts the weekly Great Game on Rogue News and writes for Strategic Culture, Washington Times, and The Cradle. Matthew Errett, welcome back to TNT Radio. Oh, always a pleasure to be with you, Chris. Good to have you. Before we discuss Iran, what do you think of Elon Musk's role in today's geopolitics, as I've just outlined? He seems never deterred by setbacks or harsh criticism, which is extraordinary for someone who cops it so much. But every time something big happens, he plays some role in it.
4: I, I have a weary caution when it comes to Elon. and If anybody says something which is reasonable, I will endorse and support that. So when Elon says something good about war uh, war needing to be stopped or about uh, technology needing to be used for the good, I support that. However, I do personally see him as a bit of a Trojan horse who's a, a devout transhumanist uh, putting a lot of money and ideology into neural links, you know, integrating human beings with... Uh, brain ships is part of a way that he says will keep us relevant uh, for a little while before machines replace us. On top of the fact that I think that there's a bigger new space movement, which Bezos himself, uh, Branson and other billionaires have been playing a role in to replace the sovereign nation state as a mechanism to, to uh, endorse or provide for the growth of science, especially space which is kind of designed to fail because these companies are doing it for profit, whereas the nation state, as we saw with John F. Kennedy, can can do things much more safely by investing not for profit, but for getting the job done. And so I think it results in a lot of unnecessary uh, disappointments with uh, things going, going haywire and putting the lives of astronauts uh, at jeopardy. So I do think that there's a certain... I approach him with caution. Let's just say that.
1: Yeah, I understand that. And that's a very good point. But gee, he finds himself... With his finger on the free speech trigger in many ways, yes. he, he was writing on Friday anyone advocating for the genocide of any group will be suspended from this platform and added the terms such as decolonization and from the river to the sea and phrases that imply genocide would be sufficient to trigger a ban. Does from the river to the sea really imply? genocide because many pro-palestinian activists argue otherwise that such a ban infringes on their free speech i'm going to reserve judgment cuz i this is the
4: first time that i've even heard of this uh, terminology i didn't even know that this was a thing um so i i don't know i i mean i think that his statement that any type of endorsement for genocide in general is should be um sanctioned uh on on his platform or any platform i think that that's that's a fine position to take as far as the from the sea, I, 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 I didn't even know about that until five minutes ago. So I have to I have to think about that.
1: Tell me a little bit about Elon and what he stands for. Um, I'm talking about free speech. Does he have any real interest in free speech or has he just found himself on a social media platform because he wants to have a say regularly and it's his toy and it's his play thing and he really doesn't give a damn?
4: Oh, no, I, I, I think that. Um... X is not a toy or plaything. I I think when he said that he intends for X to become the basis of half the world's trade and monetary uh, production uh, in a digitalized system, I think he was very serious. And I think that in his mind, or at least in the minds of those who put this into motion uh, decades ago, probably before he was even a a player on the stage, I think that uh, the idea was to always create a situation that would uh, tie people's behavior to a credit scoring mechanism that would be tied to some form of social media, everything type of of structure. And X was the platform that he created back in the 1990s. And it was a director very closely associated with Bill Gates, who was working with Elon at the time, who initiated the sale to another Bill Gates affiliated uh, investor in the year 2000 of the X platform, which he's always committed to reviving. And I think Twitter became a a useful conduit to the revival of that old platform to get everybody who was otherwise distrusting of putting their, their ID and their, their biometrics onto some digital platform who are generally conspiracy theorists who would not normally do that. All of a sudden he's become a folk hero and now they're willing to go right into this digital space that I think could be turned into a bit of a cage tied to electric vehicles that could be shut down from a centralized uh, system. If we don't have good credit scores or we say the bad, a bad word, on uh, some platform that we're not supposed to to use use bad think on.
1: Yeah. Uh, Powerful is a word that often people use to describe Elon Musk, but it's almost an understatement. Uh, Mm. Former US Defence Secretary Mark Esper's call to confront Iran follows a long history of similar calls. Um, It's no secret that the US has had plans for Iran. Uh, Here's what General Wesley Clark revealed with Amy Goodman from Democracy Now, way back in February 2007,
3: right after 9/11, about 10 days after 9/11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz. I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the Joint Staff who had used used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, "Sir, you got to come in. You got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, "Well, you're too busy." He said, "No, no," he says. You, we've made the decision we're going to war with Iraq this was on or about the 20th of September I said we're going to war with Iraq why he said I don't know <laughs> he said I guess they don't know what else to do so uh, I said well did they find some information collect- connecting Saddam to Al Qaeda he said no no he says there's nothing new that way they just made the decision to go to war with Iraq He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later. And by that time, we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk. He picked up a piece of paper and he said, I just he said, I just got this down from upstairs meaning the Secretary of Defense's Office today. And he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off
1: Iran. There you go. That's back in 2007. So do you think would the Pentagon be considering similar plans the way the Middle East looks right now?
4: Oh most certainly. yeah, that, that's that's an infamous clip and that's that's very important. He was the fo- the former head, the secretary general of 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 NATO. Mm. Um, not not a small player. So what he's talking about should be taken very seriously. And yeah, they I mean this this dream, this this obsession with uh, con- conducting an invasion a regime change against Iran um, did not disappear for one second, although it did take a little bit of a lull. Um, it was clearly enunciated with the Paul Wolfowitz uh, clean, or Richard Pearl clean break doctrine that was submitted to Benjamin Netanyahu as a policy document in 1996. The moment uh, Yitzhak Rabin was murdered in 1995, Netanyahu came into power and was immediately given this program for um, conducting this um, exactly what what uh, was just said there: a regime change and invasion, f- starting with Iraq, followed by these various countries, seven countries in five years, with Iran being the big fish. Um, All that could be triggered as the policy document of uh, the Project for a New American Century crowd, that's Dick Cheney, uh, Wolfowitz, Rumsfeld, that whole crowd that came in, they called for a Pearl Harbor moment that would need to be created in order to artificially induce an acquiescence in the mindset of of an American population that was at that time still unwilling to go to war or accept a regime change war inside the Middle East. They would not be willing to do that again. And so that Pearl Harbor moment was initiated. It was called 9-11. And since then, um, they got their war in a variety of these countries. They did their regime change finally with, with Libya. Sudan was was split into two. Uh, Iraq, we know what happened. Iran almost got struck by uh, under Dick, uh, Dick Cheney in 2007, December. And it was only because Dick Cheney had a heart attack. He had to go for heart surgery. And that moment, that second he was in surgery, you had some courageous patriots in the cia at the, who produced a national intelligence estimate that in unveiled to the world that indeed cheney was lying and that they had abandoned all uh, nuclear weapons programs uh, over nine years earlier so that took a lot of the wind out of the sails of what was supposed to be a strike onto iran back in uh, 2007 so that objective has still been uh, has been there fully and we see now with mitch mcconnell ted cruz and gen uh, general ben hodges um being the biggest fish most recently to come out saying that the US should be uh, prepared to fight with the UK a war against both Russia and Iran
1: at the same time these psychopaths are uh, are at it again You're not wrong I've got to take a quick break for news I want to talk further about what Iran has in its armory and what it's just launched very important news and it uh says to me that any intention from the Pentagon to take on Iran is more likely than not likely at this stage. We'll get to that in just a second with Matt Errett, our Canadian patriot. A little bit of news on TNT Radio. We have
3: have some wonderful news for you.
1: TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There were incredible scenes in Spain over the weekend where tens of thousands of people took to the street in Madrid protesting the country's socialist prime minister. Moscow claims to have turned the tables on the West as its sanctions failed to crash the Russian economy. And Israel has been accused of resorting to increasingly wild disinformation online as it loses its grip on the narrative surrounding the war in Gaza.
0: We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio, or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk,
1: this is TNT Radio. Yeah, and added to all of that from today, video streaming. You can get to the website right away and see us in living colour, which was the old slogan for original colour on Australian television, as I remember. On Channel 9, they kept using living colour. Well, it still is living and it still is uh, colour. Tim says, from Blackburn in Victoria, best show on t- TNT, you're a legend. Thank you for your hard work. Very kind, Tim. I doubt whether it's the best show on TV, t- TNT, but we do work hard here and we hope you're enjoying what's coming your way. Now, Matt, on Sunday, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps unveiled the nation's cutting-edge hypersonic missile at a ceremony in Tehran attended by the Supreme Leader, leader, the Ayatollah. How important is such military capability for Iran? And don't tell me that they don't have some kind of nuclear capability.
4: It's extremely important uh, because one of the major um, dynamics shaping Anglo-American military policymaking, especially since the Cold War, is game theory computer modelling. And the game theory model is what is used by rand corporation many think tanks to generate policy papers that are then made made into actions in the real world that don't have anything to do with reality so they're running scenarios using data sets kind of like what they did with the COVID or global warming data sets they just pump it into a computer the computer spews out a variety of probability outcomes and then the policymaker whether you know a, a raytheon uh or Lockheed Martin a CEO, who's now working in a government, will now make a policy based on the highest probable outcome for success, uh, without, again, any regard for reality. So uh, a lot of the the game theorists who have been planning the uh especially the 9-11, the post-9/11 age, are operating on the assumption that they already know of all of the available technologies that are that are uh that Iran, Russia, China has access to that would allow for what is known as full spectrum dominance or the idea of being able to have nuclear hegemony, the ability to carry out a first strike without any uh, response in return, which is behind the NATO expansion around Russia's perimeter, around China's perimeter on the Pacific, and also around what you see with the broader uh, chaos in the Middle East is the encirclement militarily of these very, very big powers with the threat that if you don't submit your national government sovereignty, to one world government authorities, uh, we will destroy you, and there's nothing you can do about it. When a hypersonic missile is made available, well, that showcases that, no, you're dreaming, uh, you could do a lot of damage by launching a first strike onto Russia or Tehran or Beijing, but you would not come out unscathed, and your capitals would be taken down too. So having uh, Iran making public that they have this capability of launching a missile, hypersonic I think 20 times faster than the speed of sound is should be if you're sane in the west a very big disincentivizer for uh carrying out some belligerent first strike attack like we did on libya
1: or you know afghanistan or iraq so so how close could that be given what you've just described and given what we've seen launched um oh. i would have thought that uh it's very much on the table, the current table of the Pentagon, and they must be thinking very seriously about taking out any facility that houses that kind of hypersonic capability. They're probably thinking about it, but the
4: this is the FATA-2, the FATA-1, which already had a 15, it could already be deployed 15 times faster than, this, than the speed of sound, was already in, unveiled for the first time earlier this summer, I think in June. Right. So they've already had this capability for quite some time. Um, this is even faster still and can go about 2000 kilometers. Last time I read, which, which brings in easily Israel, um, uh, and other Western countries too. Um, so <clears throat> I, I don't think they necessarily have the enrichment capability to produce a nuclear weapon at this point. I I just haven't seen that evidence, but this, they could still carry out a lot of damage and God knows. I don't, I'm not an expert, so I don't know how many other ways there are to access Uh, nuclear warheads, probably when you have the types of allies that Iran has, it's probably not impossible, even if you don't have your own enrichment. Uh, So it's worth keeping that in mind.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we'll keep that in mind. All right. Uh, You've recently given a presentation sorting through history, correcting the record on Kazaria. Why is this relevant now with the ongoing uh, Palestine-Israel war? You know, like does or did a Khazarian mafia exist, as many in the alternate media are suggesting? Not really. I, In my research, and this takes up two chapters in my book series on The Clash of the
4: Two Americas. Um, and when I looked at the actual source material of what's survived the sands of time of this kingdom that existed back in the 8th, ninth century uh, uh, A.D., uh, Kazaria was indeed a Jewish kingdom, and and it was a, a key entry point of this the revival of the Silk Road, the uh, the trade corridors between China and Europe. Uh, that had one corridor through what today is today Russian Ukraine into Charlemagne's Europe from the north, and another southern uh, trade route going down through the Middle East. Back then, it was the Abbasid Muslim dynasty into uh, Charlemagne's Europe again, and with branches on the maritime down into Africa. But Kazaria played a very important role in uh, brokering that successful deal with this dialogue of civilizations, which was very important um, and which people like Samuel P. Huntington, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Kissinger would prefer never even happened because it demonstrated that for uh, many generations, society was able to avoid the clash of civilizations uh, formula, which these neoconservatives have put forth as one of their, their points of gospel that different religious cultures uh must could only do nothing but fight with each other and that there's no there's no such thing as a common good or common win-win way of thinking economically and so the only type of uh truth is the truth of of he who can impose his will onto the weaker who who can become the hegemon or the leviathan in hobbesian language yeah. to re- restore order, order onto the chaos so i like this this story because it does reevaluate, or it 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 puts new light onto the thing that a lot of people have been taught to make their 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 fear and enemy hate uh, image, which is the Khazarian mafia image. I have seen only evidence that Khazaria was actually a positive force, not a negative one. Although there have been bad Jewish bankers who have been recruited by oligarchs of Europe that go back far, far, far before even there was a Roman Empire. There were these families that absorbed and used some of these Jewish go back far, far, far before even there was a Roman Empire. There were these families that absorbed and used some of these Jewish named banking families like the Sassoons, the Rothschilds in the 11th to 12th to 13th centuries to carry out economic warfare against their rivals. But um, it it isn't really a Jewish banker's conspiracy. And due to the fact that Israel has done some very atrocious things that people are seeing in images on their news feeds and other things, it's it's very horrific to see babies dying and hospitals destroyed and these things. So there's a lot of anti-Semitism, which is also coming to the surface. And I think the the, you know, Kazarian mafia uh, trope, it plays into that a little bit too much. And so I wanted to add some context.
1: It is, though, a clash of faiths, and even Benjamin Netanyahu seems to be continually referring to or making biblical references. Uh, can you outline your research regarding the collaboration among faiths during the 7th to ninth centuries? How were the Crusades initiated a 1,000 years ago and again today?
4: You're asking great questions, Chris. Uh, yeah, th- this is... <laughs> um, Okay so the the trade corridors the, there there was always an attempt to get a crusade the crusade was essentially getting di- the, the christians and muslims to kill each other and undo a lot of this dialogue of civilizations yeah. that was initiated by Charlemagne and Harun al-Rashid al- the 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 ruling families and leading cults of the roman empire had migrated at that time to venice and uh, rome where the papacy was located and they were always trying to get um, a war of these different groups, a cru- what we later called the Crusades, they wanted to initiate that. And Charlemagne was smart due to his. And again, he had a lot of Jewish friends who were running a lot of the embassies and communications be- between him and uh, Harun al-Rashid of the Islamic world. Basically, Harun al-Rashid said, OK, tell you what, instead of you, go- you get- being pushed into a war to take back the Holy Land. Let me give you the Holy Land. And he sent an embassy back to Charlemagne with an elephant as a gift and a lot of other silks and things with a deed to the Holy Land saying, here, it's yours and we'll defend it. And Charlemagne, he rode the elephant for 20 years. It it worked really great at taking the the wind out of the sails. Um, And as a consequence, you had houses of wisdom with Christians and Jews and Muslims working together on astronomy, on poetry, doing translations of Greek texts in Baghdad, also in Spain. Um, You had in Khazaria an ecumenical uh, council of judges representing the Jews, Christians, and Muslims uh, all together, uh, managing the laws of that land, as well as a Muslim army defending a Jewish homeland in Khazaria, which is a great irony. Imagine today yes. Israel having a, <laughs> a Muslim army. People think that this is impossible, but that's the way it was for a sustained period until the sabotage, which happened when Charlemagne was dead. His His grandsons were stupid, and they started taking on very bad advisors who acquiesced to things that led into... The formation of the Templars, uh, the Templar order that was also a part of the crusading process that converted the, the Silk Road routes into uh, routes that were used by the Crusaders to carry out war and jihad against the infidels and back and forth for uh, centuries that turned everybody stupid and dead and brought about a massive dark age for all of civilization. And the Silk Road basically went to hell for, for a thousand years until very recently when it was revived.
1: Mm-hmm. Gee, uh, the fact that you've got a Muslim army protecting Jews, as you rightly say, is almost unthinkable in the current context. But uh, history has that um, surprise element all through its chapters. All right, one final one. I'm running out of time. You've referenced British intelligence operations playing all sides at the moment, Jewish, Muslim and Christian in a... Destructive frenzy for geopolitical purposes. How how has this occurred? Uh, last last
4: question. Eh? Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, keep in mind the. Um, recently, it was discovered that uh, well, the Muslim Brotherhood was itself an organization created by uh, MI6 and the British Foreign Office back in the 1920s. Uh, Hajamin was an early uh, figure who was used as a radical, um, violence-prone figure working closely with the Muslim Brotherhood and with the Nazis, who was put in power uh, by the British under British Mandate Palestine. And uh, Hamas uh, was created, as as Ron Paul and many others have pointed out, by by a combination of Anglo-American and British intel- uh, uh, Israeli intelligence in the 80s and have been used as such. Since then, even Benjamin Netanyahu gave a speech to his uh, Likud party in 2019, saying that if you want to stay in control of uh, the situation. You make sure that Hamas receives money and stays in power uh, because they want a religious uh, oriented group that is more predictable. um, And they didn't want the type of discussion that Yasser Arafat was having around economic development with people like Yitzhak Rabin. Israel itself was created by the British, uh, British intelligence, British mandate Palestine, and Mossad was created by the CIA, which itself was created by MI6. And there's a lot of Detail that I'm skipping over because I know we only have seconds to get a lot of big ideas across, but yes, British intelligence is everywhere in the Middle East.
1: I appreciate your time. Your insight is quite extraordinary and we appreciate it, uh, especially here at TNT. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Always a pleasure. All right. Journalist, lecturer, uh, editor-in-chief of the Canadian Patriot Review, Matthew Errett. We try and get on as often as possible, especially when you've got complex complex issues happening in the world right now. And the only explanation is to go back in history to explain why we have the precarious situation we do now. History has the keys to answering all of those complex questions. We've got to take a break, and I'm quite happy to take your calls if you're listening through TNT Radio and the apps and the website, maybe even... Uh, YouTube, and other streaming services, you can dial in on the telephone uh, from the US or Canada on 1-888-201-6425. You can do so from the UK on 033-0024-1026, or from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. I've got plenty of time for that. I also want to tell you about the Royal Navy's shave with disaster. And the story is broken in the last 12 hours. It's about a nuclear sub that almost became crushed. I'll tell you the full story right after the break on TNT Radio.
0: The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to State refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries, manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio.
3: Need a ride? Yeah!
0: Driving with kids is a big responsibility.
4: Hop in and buckle up!
0: So (laughs) don't sweat the small stuff.
4: You got paint all over our paper!
0: (laughs) Get the big stuff right instead. What does that mean? Like making sure your kids are in the correct car seat and buckled up for safer travel. That
2: deserves a
4: wiggly wiggly wig!
0: To make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat.
1: You're with Chris Smith
0: on today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. Let me tell you about the Royal Navy and how close they came to a disaster. This story is published on various news sites in the last 12 hours, but a Royal Navy nuclear sub sinking towards its crush depth, that is, of course, the depth at which even its... um, shell cannot withstand the pressure of its depth uh it was save saved moments from disaster now a depth gauge failed on this decades old vanguard class vessel carrying 140 crew and trident to doomsday missiles in the atlantic so these small vessels that are attached to the sub such a catastrophe would also have triggered a nightmare salvage mission to recover the top secret vessel and its nuclear reactor before the russians got to the scene according to the sun in london now the sub was preparing to go on patrol when dials indicating its depth stopped working leaving commanders to think it was level when it was still diving It was entering the danger zone when engineers at the back of the 490-foot Vanguard-class vessel spotted a second gauge and raised the alarm. This would seem strange to you and I, that you wouldn't know that you were heading straight to the bottom of the ocean. But that is, I guess, the way the atmosphere works when you're that deep. I don't know. I've never been that deep. I've been in a sub before, but I haven't been at ocean depths. And it was diving. And yet they thought the crew, 140 of them thought that they were at a particular level under the water. A source told The Sun in London it's not the engineer's job to control the sub's depth, but they saw how deep they were and realized something was wrong. Technically, the sub was still at a depth where we know it can operate. But if it ever has to go that deep, the whole crew is piped to action stations. That hasn't happened. The sub wasn't supposed to be there, and it was still diving. And if it had carried on going, it doesn't really bear thinking about this, source told The Sun. Um, They are not naming the sub or the depths involved for security reasons, which is interesting. A naval source said the near miss had showed that safety systems worked. Yes, but basic systems have not worked. They added, if one system fails, you can fall back on the other. Top brass launched an urgent safety probe, but insiders insisted the drama did not interrupt the UK's nuclear deterrent. At least one Royal Navy submarine with nuclear missiles has been on patrol continuously since 1969 to hit back in the event of a doomsday attack. Britain has four Vanguard-class submarines, but currently only two are operational. Um, I won't go into the details of the other two, that's not important right now. But what I, what is important is that even carrying such a payload, a devastating payload, and a nuclear capability can lead to all sorts of drama if basic equipment does not work. And that's not just – it doesn't just apply to nuclear arms. It doesn't just apply to nuclear energy. It applies to anything that – uh is powered by something that can go awfully wrong. Now, I've got to tell you about a great story in The Guardian. 12 of the world's wealthiest billionaires produce more greenhouse gas emissions, according to The Guardian, from their yachts, their private jets, uh, and the story's flicked up away from me, um, private jets, mansions and financial investments than the annual energy emissions Of two million homes, two million homes. So when Prince Harry turns around, do we call him Prince now? I've lost track of all of that. When Harry decides to head back to see his father, which I think he's in the process of doing at the moment, um, and he jumps on a private jet, as he does on occasion, think about his hypocrisy when he turns up in California at some green event and starts, you know, Prophesizing about the end of the world and the doomsday climate juggernaut that we're going through at the moment. It is all just trash because those same entrepreneurs, those same billionaires, those same multimillionaires do not give a damn. They'll get in their private jets. They'll do as they want to do and be damned with the contribution that they are making um, to to uh, uh, CO2. Hey, this is a fascinating story. I had a look at this very early this morning. This is one of those things that you come across that shows that we are so far away from solving the earth's environmental problems. And when I say solving the earth's environmental problems, there are things that we don't know about now that could be the answer to you know, if CO2 is your baddie, it could be the answer to getting rid of man made CO2, if that is what you want to do. Um, it, there could be answers associated with producing much more food than what we do now so we can feed poverty stricken third world countries. But we don't know. Technology has always been the way in which mankind, oh, that's not very nice, is it? Humankind, Um, It's always been technology that's got us out of trouble and taken us to the next process and the next way of solving our problems. Well, how's this? In exchange for donating a portion of unspoiled forested land to a nature reserve in Costa Rica, A particular entrepreneur decided to accept discarded orange peels and pulp free of charge and dump it in heavily grazed, largely deforested area of Costa Rica. Well, have a listen to what happened. One year later, 1,000 trucks poured into this national park in Costa Rica, offloading over 12,000 metric tons of sticky, mealy, orange compost into the worn-out plot. The site was left untouched and largely unexamined for over a decade. So what would have happened in relatively untouched National Park? Not It wasn't National Park the way you and I would think of a National Park in a first world country. However, it was an untouched area. What would happen if you dumped that, that many orange peels, do you think, in a National Park? Well, the average greenie would probably say, oh, it's awful pollution. You've upset Mother Nature, and you certainly won't do anything for the ecology. Well, have a listen to what happened. They went and studied it 10 years later. Compared to the adjacent barren former pasture land where the orange peels were dumped, the site of the food waste deposit was like night and day. It was hard to believe, according to researchers, that the only difference between the two areas was a bunch of orange orange peels. They looked completely different ecosystems. The area was so thick with vegetation, the researchers couldn't find any sign that would have made that possible. The results have been published in the journal Restoration Ecology, and they highlight just how completely the discarded fruit parts assisted the area's environment and the turnaround. A group of uh, uh, ecologists measured various qualities of the site against an area of former pasture land immediately nearby. And the plot with the orange peels had new species of trees. Um, They featured two dozen species of vegetation that were mostly thriving. In addition to greater biodiversity, richer soil and a better developed canopy, researchers discovered a a dog-sized weasel and a giant fig tree three feet in diameter. It suggests that tropical forest and vegetation can benefit greatly from orange peel waste, waste that we'd send to the tip. There's got to be lessons in that for environmental greenies who think the only way forward is to just leave the land as it is no we should use our pristine land we should live in our lands but we should also think about how technologically we can improve it even if it is with waste products interesting isn't it it's a lesson uh, in how technology can help the world's biggest problems i've got to take a break after the break we'll catch up with alan jones and renee heath as well on tnt radio